extend a welcome to you this morning. It's with confidence and assurance this morning that I share with you from God's Word. We don't need to worry about the misinformation. God's Word is true, and uh, we have God's Spirit living within us. We are assured that His Spirit will reveal to us, give us understanding of the Word and how to apply it to our hearts and lives. Turn in your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27. Proverbs 14, verse 27. This verse here was, this proverb here was in my reading this week and reads like this, Proverbs 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. I originally, when I was thinking throughout earlier in the week to prepare to share this morning, I was focusing on numbers, uh, numerals, and, uh, They've always fascinated me. And uh, so I was in my reading, and then I came across this, and the Lord directed my thought to this truth that the proverb writer mentions here, the fountain of life. That's the title of my meditation this morning, A Fountain of Life. Two opposing experiences described here in this proverb, life and death. We know about life in a physical dimension. We know about death in a physical dimension. There's no one in this room probably that has not, you know, been brushed with death in this life. Um, but again, it's, I believe it, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that to the dimension of spiritual life, spiritual death. Notice how he contrasts these two experiences. The one as a fountain versus a snare. And uh, as I thought about Matthew, as I thought about those two comparisons, that of a fountain and that of a snare, Matthew Henry says his description of a fountain, he says, it's overflowing, ever-flowing, abundance. The aspect of a snare is that which is entangling, trapping, deceptive, attractive, restrictive, painful, and captivating. A snare do we understand the, the vast difference between those two dimensions of being? Either drinking, as it were, from a fountain, ever-flowing, overflowing, or finding ourselves ensnared in the restrictions, entrapment, and captivity of by violating God's laws. And uh, I want to notice, too, it says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain. That is what I want to focus on this morning is the fear of the Lord. Do I recognize the importance of a proper fear of God so that it's, 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 it's something that will keep me replenished in my relationship with Him? As I thought about that description that the proper writer uses there of, of a fountain and Matthew Henry's description of it, uh, ever flowing, overflowing, my mind went back probably almost 60 years. We had an annual family reunion at Lidditz Springs State, uh, Lidditz Springs Park. I don't know if any of you ever been to Lidditz Springs Park, 
But uh, a lot of fond memories I have of Little Springs Park. It was an annual Wanger family reunion. My grandma note was a Wanger. And uh, so once a year we got to Little Springs Park at least. And I, I don't think we occasioned there other than that for that event. And besides the the friendship of, of being there with cousins and extended family, the, the, the Little Springs Park, the springs of Little Springs Park were the attraction to us children. And... Uh, I actually YouTubed it yesterday, and so I went there yesterday and uh, relived. And a couple of years ago, Lawson and I were back there, and we had some time. And I said we were coming across the country there for a, a visit uh, with friends in the evening. And uh, I said, you know, let's stop at Little Springs Park. So we walked around Little Springs Park there Sunday afternoon a couple of years back. And it was uh, it was not the prettiest time of the year. Our, our reunion was usually, I think, uh, middle of the summer there sometime. But... Uh, in in that park, there's a uh, a number of springs that are coming from. There's a wall. It's kind of on a hillside. There's a wall at least at least as high as the, the brick wall here behind me, and it's curved. And then there's a, a walkway around curved as well. And then there's a diameter of a pool. And I don't know. I, I was little, so I, I'm gonna guess it was 50 foot diameter of of water. And then there was a channel out through that was walled up, cemented up, and it flowed down through the rest of the park. But at the in the wall, in this wall, there was numerous openings, and they were gated off, as I remember. At least most of them were gated off. I'm told there's caves back in in that hillside. And from them caves are springs coming, flowing out of that. And they come underneath that walkway, and then there's a, I don't know, I'm going to guess it's two-foot, three-foot diameter conduit that comes up. And, and there the water is just bubbling out of that. And, and of course it makes that pool there and then it flows down through the rest of the park. So that was my, my concept of, of, uh, of a fountain as I thought of the description that the prophet writer used here. An abundance of water. Now the second thing to the, and this is just a site node, but the second thing and the attraction to that park there, other than the, the, the springs that provided the entertainment, especially on a hot day. You can imagine we were probably in the water as much as we weren't, but there was a little store there that uh, was sold all kinds of attractive things for children, and uh, us boys usually got our, our rubber airplane fix there for the season, and uh, the Balsam-style airplane with rubber bands on, and that's, I think, the only time we usually bought them at that time then and either it was a tough choice between that or a boat because the boat you could use right away in the in the water and the airplane we usually were a little skeptical about losing it kind of getting caught in the trees or getting away from us but uh so that was just a side note of it but uh as i think of a fountain of life as the proverb writer here describes it i think of it as providing life's nourishments and uh, that's what it's saying the description he's using as uh um uh, the fear of the Lord is that which is going to provide for us spiritually, spiritual life sustenance. And we'll, we'll look at more closely at, at some of the uh, dimensions of that fear and, and write uh, concepts of that fear. But I like to, first of all, contrast that with the, the aspect of a snare. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, reads like this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We have all sinned, and uh, we have all been entrapped with that snare. We need 
a way to overpower that, that, that snare of death. And again, that's provided through a proper fear of God, and it, it should produce uh, a right response from us. Death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So I thought about things that ensnare people. I thought of, uh, you know, the vice of lottery, um, the vice of alcohol, you know, just two examples. You know, people that, that become ensnared in those addictions and the impact it has on their lives and those around them. Uh, while I'm back at Romans there, I want to read some other verses by uh, Romans chapter 5, reading at verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So it's a free gift. We don't have to purchase that. We don't have to depend on the park store by the fountain there at Little Springs Park. It says it's a free gift. But not as the offense, so also is it the free gift. For it through the, for if through the, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it, and not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So we can experience deliverance from the snare of death, the snare of sin, through what Jesus Christ has done. It's a free gift, and it, it uh, came unto justification of life. Grace did much more abound, so might grace reign. That's the remedy to escape that ensnaring, as it might be the spider web. And I was looking here this morning for Richard for spider webs. You're doing too good of a job. I think there is one up there, but uh, I shouldn't have said that. I'll offer to clean it for you, okay? Uh, but you know, the spider web as, as a snare. You know, it's, uh, you know, the spider has them silk glands and he drops that first strand down and he attaches it somewhere, hoping for the current of the air to, oftentimes it'll have to stick somewhere and then he gets that one strand and then he adds another strand, another strand. You know, he's not really aggressive. He's just kind of deceptive. He hangs it in the corners. And the insects and flying beings that are, that he likes to taste and feast on, you know, unknowingly get up there in the corner and next thing they're in there. And I'm, I'm told that spiders can, can tell the difference. They have the ability to sense the difference whether it's something alive that's in their web, uh, or whether it's just something, a piece of dirt, a leaf, or something like that. Again, I'm, I'm depending on those that studied spiders because I have not taken that much time to study them. I, we, we did have one milk inspector that seemed spider webs for his, his, uh, his strong point. Uh, farmed for almost 40 some years and we had a new milk inspector and I don't think I ever had spider webs marked, but he, he always marked spider webs. <laughs> and there probably were a few there to his credit, but, and I've just, my wife was just reading an article he had written. He now has moved to, uh, uh, up the ranks and so he was giving some pointers in a dairy magazine about how to prepare for the inspector and he said one thing you got to do my wife said let's look at look what he wrote here he said prepare he said mentioned the spider webs that was brandon and uh, he said get them out of your milk house and uh, so I, I found that interesting because it was we knew him personally and uh, you know that's a that's a type of snare and that's the way satan does he uses deception he uses deceit and uh, unknowingly we uh 
we sometimes find ourselves entrapped. Before I go into the aspect of, of the fear of God, or I'm, I'm going into it, but I want to look back in history and uh, some of the examples and lessons that we learned from those that have walked before us and lived before us in relation to uh, to having a right fear of God. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but as I was sitting there at my desk yesterday and, and studying, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, and it just jumped out to me, it says, if you look at Genesis 1, it says, and God, verse 3, verse 4, and God, and 5, and God, and 6, verse, and, and it just goes on like that, and God, and God, almost the whole way through that chapter. And God. God is the creator of everything we have. He's the creator of life. There's no competition. There's no other gods. You know, I've, uh, Justin mentioned Glenn last Sunday, you know, and, and in relation to some of the thoughts that he shared. And one of the things that he brought out was he said the Egyptians had many gods, but there is only one true God. And we have that established here in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm we need to believe that by faith regardless of what other theories people may bring up. We believe that by faith, that in God. He blessed, he created. It was good in verse 21. After he was done, he said it was good. After he created man in verse 30, uh, verse 31 of chapter 1, he said it was very good. <clears throat> and in chapter 2, verse 7, man became a living soul. Remember, we're talking about life and death. Right there, man became a living soul. Man was a, a living being to a dimension beyond any of the rest of God's creation. Man became a living soul. No other of, no other of God's creation became a living soul. Only man. After God breathed into him the breath of eternal life, man became a living soul. Then we go to Genesis chapter 3, and we see the uh, original temptation. There in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I might just take the time to read that. It's, it's familiar uh, content there. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, verses 1 through 6, rather. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? You know, that's the logic people want to use today. Okay, what does God really say? What does his word really say? Yea, hath God said? Ye shall not eat of the, every tree of the garden. And the woman, in question, verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but, verse 3, Of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Partial truth there. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So there we have the snare, as it were, the spider web hanging up there in the Garden of Eden, and man being entrapped, restrictive, falling from a perfect, pure relationship with God into the snare and the trap of Satan. We, on, we go on just a little bit further. I, I said I want to go back in history here. So we're back to Genesis chapter 6. And this is one of the examples I want to pick out here. In Genesis chapter uh, uh, 6, I want to begin reading at uh, verse 5. Remember, God created everything. It was good. God created man, and he said it was very good. He breathed into man the breath of life. Man became a living soul. 
And as the earth began to be populated, they followed God's command of being fruitful and multiplying. And then in Genesis chapter 6, verse uh, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So there we see God, you know, God who is the giver of life, the creator of life. I, I can't fathom how God could, uh, the, 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 the extent that God was grieved and sorrowed with, that man had fallen to the, to the depth of depravity that he was experiencing here. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the earth, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So there was one that was righteous, one that caught God's attention and said, here's someone that's living the way that I I expected him to live, and that was Noah. Jumping ahead to... uh, Chapter 7, where we have the actual destruction taking place, verses, uh, chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils were the breath of life of all that was in the, and all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and creeping things in the fowls of the heaven, and they were destroyed upon the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. So there we see the, the, the completion of what God's judgment was. We could turn back to Hebrews, and if we look at the Hebrews account, the book of better things, it says, what prompted Noah to build that ark? It says it was the fear of God that prompted him to build that ark. In fear, Noah build that ark. So we see the destruction and death and all flesh being destroyed, all but the eight souls. And I think Mike mentioned this but uh, in the Sunday school lesson, but in Genesis chapter 9, I want to read those verses because they are refreshing verses to read. Verses 11 of chapter 9, And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, Neither shall there be any more, neither shall there, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Notice that, for perpetual generations. That's this generation here today. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. So there we have it, God's promise of not bringing and destroying the earth by waters and in a flood as he had done in the day and time of Noah. Again, it was a lack of a fear of God that brought God's judgment. Noah, who was moved by the fear of God, the ark, a type of the church, is was the saving of Noah and his family. 
The second example I want to take you to is in Genesis chapter 18. Again, we're just looking back here at history of some examples of God destroying life because of a lack of fear of of God, for God. Genesis 18, verse 20, we have here the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. This was when the uh, angels of God had come to Abraham, and they were on their way to Sodom, and they were going to... Uh, Check and see exactly what the iniquity of Sodom was like. And they left Abraham, headed to Sodom, where Lot was living. And Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And I, I in my mind, I, I get this picture of Abraham. And we, we know the story there. We read on. Abraham drew near and said, Will thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? He asked that question. Will, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? You know, it, it, I think Abraham was trying to understand how God would work this. And uh, then he, he starts bargaining with God in verse 24. He says, Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Will thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? And then he goes down. He goes fifty. And he goes forty-five. And he goes forty. And he goes thirty. And he goes twenty. And he goes down to ten. And uh, so Abraham kept somewhat bargaining with God. Okay, where where's this, how does this all balance out? And uh, so it's uh, it's an interesting concept. Again, it's here. Men were living void of the fear of God. They were living their lives in carnality and sin and wickedness. And uh, we know the story, the completion of that judgment that God rained fire and brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and barely rescued Lot and his family. His wife, looking back, did not escape, but uh, his two daughters, son-in-laws, seemingly perished as well. But uh, God brought judgment, and uh, because of man's lack of fear of God. I'd like to read some verses here in Genesis 19 yet, verse 22 verses here, 27 through 29. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And behold, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. So there we have the God in his relationship with Abraham seemingly impacted his relationship to uh, or his uh, endeavor to save Lot. I mentioned I was going to, uh, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, I have it written here, so I, I may have mentioned I, talk, I was going to talk about numbers. Someone has said, and again, this is I'm taking this for someone else's evaluation of this, but they said one in five, as I thought about Abraham bargaining with God somewhat, you know, the 50, the 40, the, the 50, the 45, the 40, and on down through, uh, God, uh, in, the, in the Bible, in the printed text of the Bible, one in five verses uh, has a number included in it. 
uh, I'm, again, I found that somewhat fascinating to realize that, that uh, you know, there's, as we looked at, now there's quite a few in a, quite a few verses there in a row that have a number in them, but one in five verses throughout the whole text of the Bible would have a number included in, in the text of its verse. Uh, not the number of the verses our Bible was laid out today, but I'm saying in the text itself, one in five has a, a number included in it. So I thought about the fear of God and the example we have here of Sodom and Gomorrah. So I thought of the uh, flood. You know, what... Um, what what is our equation today? <laughs> you know, are we down to how many righteous? I don't know if any of you saw this or not, but as I was on the, uh, it just flashed up, and I didn't research it completely, but there was a, 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 uh, a statistic that said it, it evaluated the states according to sinfulness. It ranked them according to sinfulness. And I don't know, anybody see that? Uh, it's I don't know what, on what premises exactly they were making that evaluation. <laughs> but, uh, and it was, all the statistics were about Minnesota. One was, you know, what's the, uh, the, uh, capability or, or family raising friendliness of, of the different states. And Minnesota, I think, was number two. I don't remember who was number one, but sinfulness was what caught my eye because it was, I was in the middle of studying about sin and, and the, God's judgment on sin and the fear of God that keeps us from sin. And uh, Minnesota, I, if I remember correctly, I, I couldn't find it, but I think it was like number five or ten, I don't know. But uh, Nevada was number one, that I remember. Anybody want to guess why Nevada would be number one? <laughs> Las Vegas, known as the Sin City. And I, I found it uh, somewhere that actually that Sin City actually is, is synonymous with Sodom and Gomorrah as well. So uh, California, I think, was number two. But, uh, again, unless we're evaluating uh, it by the word of God, the truth of God's word, I'm not sure there's a lot of merit in it necessarily. Uh, there may be some merit to it, perhaps, but uh, that's for what it's worth, I guess. And it still comes down to personal individuals. As we see God, I believe, looks at, at Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, and, and has his angels, you know, he said he will know. God will know what the... The uh, spiritual temperature is of any given environment in the world, whether it's Prairie Mennonite Church, whether it's our home, whether it's the state of Minnesota, whether it's the United States of America, whether it's whatever. I don't think God is restricted by ge- geographical boundaries necessarily. I believe God can bring judgment. Uh, we know that if we follow principles of God, I believe there's blessing probably involved. But uh, again, as a country itself... You know, that would remember the principles of, of the truth of God's word. I, I believe there's blessing can be received because of that. Coming to the second part of my message here this morning, I want to look at four things that I think will help us to experience the fear of God as a fountain. That which will uh, nourish us. That which will keep us from the snare and entrapment that the proverb writer was talking about. And uh, the first one is, and this is an acrostic, first one is uh, would be an F, and I believe it stands, it's the first letter of fear, but it stands for the forgiveness that needs to take place. You know, forgiveness of sin. If we deal with the sin problem in our life, if I deal with the sin problem in my life, if you deal with the sin problem in your life, if we all deal with the sin problem in our life, that, I believe, will 
that's the reason of contention with man. God has a contention with man because of the sin that is involved in our lives. I'd like to turn to Psalm 130. So as we reach out and, and take a hold of the, the forgiveness of sin that is made available to mankind through Jesus Christ, this is the psalmist here putting it in very good, elegant words, I believe he says. Psalm 130 says, Out of the depth have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But if there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Notice that, that you can be feared. God extends forgiveness so that we, it's fear that moves us to reach out and take that forgiveness. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. You know what God does? He does right. The Lord is, we can experience his mercy. God's mercy is giving, withholding that which we deserved. Sin, the equation is death. We deserve death, but God's mercy is, is overshadowing that judgment through us receiving his plan of redemption. And it mentions that with him is plenteous redemption. Plenteous redemption. We can extend it to anybody. We can hold it out to them. And he shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Again, God does a good job of what he does. The presence of sin in our lives is reason to fear God. Turning to Proverbs chapter 6, as I think about, as I thought about sin, I, I thought of these verses, familiar verses in the proverb writer, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. These six things. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. There we have a clear-cut picture of what God hates. Proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imagination, feet swift to run to mischief, false witnesses, a sower of discord. And as I thought of those verses, I, I thought of a New Testament, First John chapter First uh, John chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. You know, what we're looking at here is a, uh, an equation of light and darkness. First John chapter 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. What we saw, what we're seeing depicted here, as we think of sin, we're thinking of light and darkness. And jumping down to verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
Little children, it is the last time, and as I have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. And I believe that's true. We're living in the last times. And there is much that could distract our focus on on the away from the fear of God and allowing us to walk and experience that fountain of of uh, deliverance that we have in Christ Jesus. Well, the second uh, concept about the fear of God, first is forgiveness of sin. We need to deal with that sin problem in our life, and, and we can relax. The second thing is that it's enduring forever. And i like to turn to uh, Psalm 19. Again, this is David here, very poetically uh, penning these words, Psalm 19. As we think of God's, the fear of God enduring forever, and uh, uh, it translating to us, if you remember the verses I read there in First John, that that we will live forever. In Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their and their words to the end of the world, and them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now notice verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord enduring forever. That's what we can experience as that fountain of life, as we allow the fear of God to motivate us and to move us into an enduring relationship with him. Time will not alter right and wrong. Do you believe that this morning? Time will not alter right and wrong. Right and wrong are still the same today, just as when God sent his son to die for the sins of the world. His son, the living word, the word made flesh there in John 1. His son, the living word, came to bring redemption to us so that we could experience an enduring relationship through the fear of of God. The third aspect of fear is that of... uh, a, the letter A, and it means accepted of God. It stands for being accepted of God. We have fear of God in our, our hearts, in our lives. We can be assured of being accepted of him. Acts chapter 10, I believe it's Paul speaking here. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Oh, I'm sorry, it's Peter. 10.34, and Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That's a blessed thought, isn't it? God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what your last name is. doesn't matter what your social status is, what your class and society is. But God is no respecter of persons. He sees us all as needy creatures. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Remember, I said... It means accepted of God. We that fear God can be accepted with him. In every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness 
is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preached, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. That word, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism with John preached, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead, and to give, and to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him should receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? So there we have the Holy Ghost empowering the believers and... Uh, making them accepted of God. You and I can experience that acceptance this morning, that promise of being acceptance. But again, the qualifier is he that feareth God. We have the example of Christ listed, listed through those verses there, how he did, what how God worked through him, and the, the redemption that he provided through uh, the, his death on, on the cross and his resurrection so that we can experience remission of sins. And then ultimately the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to not just the Jews that believed, but to anyone who believed. Well, the fourth thought concept of the fear of God is the letter R, completing my cross stick of the word fear. And that, I have three words that I, I think are foundational in understanding the fear of God. And I have relationship, I have reverence, and I have respect. And uh, going back to Hebrews chapter 12 again, uh, I mentioned Hebrews chapter 11, but turning to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses, uh, verse 9. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, verse 9. For, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we have given them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? So there he's, he's describing a, uh, an experience that, uh, you know, that of a father-child relationship and the, you know, the respect, the reverence, and the relationship that's developed in a home. And how that father, out of a heart of love, chastens or disciplines that child. And he says, should we not so much more expect that from our heavenly father, I believe? using a natural illustration in a relationship. You know, the idea of a father-child relationship is that of dependence. We need, uh, there's not a one of us here this, this morning would say that we did not need our fathers. Uh, there's that exchange of knowledge, the lessons that they have learned in life. And as we have grown up, they shared and communicated to us the things that they learned. So there's an exchange of knowledge. There's a trust relationship established in, in that father uh, child relationship. And uh, there's also that uh, idea of obedience. We learn to 
reverence them. We learn to respect them. And, and when they tell us something, we do it out of, out of fear of the consequences if we don't do it. And again, you could refer to, uh, to the example of Noah back in chapter 11, one chapter earlier, where he moved with fear. He knew there was consequences if he didn't follow the instructions of God. There's also that love uh, channel that develops between a father and a son and child. I shouldn't exclude, it shouldn't be gender specific, a child, not just sons, sons and daughters. Um, but you know, in, in reading on there in Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read some verses around that verse 9. I'm going to read verses 6 through 13. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye, without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? Notice the, ask, the dimension of reverence there. Again, verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but... He for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up to trouble you, and thereby, thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And I'll stop reading there. I was only going to read through verse 13. But, you know, there we have that, uh, and the writer there, the Hebrew writer there, describes sometimes that disappointment that takes place. He mentions Esau particularly who made choices that were unwise, sold his birthright for just a mere portion of uh, pottage. And, uh, you know, we have choices to make too. I'd like you to think this morning that every choice you make is probably is, is going to take you uh, closer to that fountain of life in experiencing the fear of God, or it's going to take you toward that snare of Satan, that spider web hanging up there, you know, uh, it'll entrap you, it'll restrict you, it'll ensnare you. And I, I need to be reminded of that as well. Life and death, fountain or snare, what is your experience? What are you going toward? And that's the challenge I want to leave with you this morning. As we think about the fear of God, uh, that we experience what God wants his children to truly experience. As we've looked in history, the, the account of Noah, and there could be other many other accounts we could look at, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, and, and the judgment that our world, that is impending on our world today. And, uh, you know, that you and I are found within the safety of God's will because of the fear that we've, the fountain of fear that kept us from the ensnarement of Satan.